The text comes from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord! Make his path straight. Now John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, This is the one who is more powerful than I, is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove upon him. You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased, said the voice from heaven. And the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beast, and the angels waited upon him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be an honor and a glory to you. Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So today we're starting our new series on the book of Mark and we actually get into one of my hobby horses on this one. In my two years of Greek, the capstone task was to translate this passage right here. The same as a professional commentary would be done. And for once, I want to do the rare thing of focusing on the critical scholarship to just highlight an issue in the Gospel of Mark when you come straight to the opening. So this verse 1, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus, your version probably says Jesus Christ, but it's better in English to break that up. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. There's a lot of debates because one of the things when you look at a Greek Bible is there's about that much text and that much footnotes. And you've probably sat, been in line at the grocery store and you've seen a tabloid with, there's a thousand ears in the Bible. Well, as, as someone who sat through a lot of the Greek scholarship courses, what's really going on is some scholar copying over the manuscripts, probably changed an epsilon to an oops-alon. A little bit of a Greek joke for all of you out there. But this particular passage gets 
some controversy about it because there's two different manuscript traditions on it. One of them just reads the beginning of the good news of Jesus. Another reads the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. And the third adds the Son of God. Now your Bible uses the Son of God because that's the most authoritative text. But the debate about those words, that's what I want to get into today. Because every critical scholar, when I was reading into it, they took Son of God as the orthodox Christian statement, and the only way they could see a, a, a medieval or some other scribe putting that in was putting it in with the orthodox thinking in their brain. And that kind of breaks the Gospel of Mark for us if we rush to be too orthodox. If you transport yourself back to the first century BC, I'm sorry, AD, and no one had heard of Jesus, you can go out to the store today and you can see shirts that say, Jesus is my homie. You can hear teenage kids use it as a curse when they drop something on their foot. But if you could get, imagine in your mind getting back to a world where no one had ever even heard the word Jesus Christ, heard Jesus, they would have heard the word Christ or Messiah, anointed one, and they would have actually heard the words Son of God. We have in the Old Testament the example of Darius. He's a Persian king, he's not a Jew, but because he's a deliverer of the people, in the Old Testament he's called a Messiah. An anointed one, because he's anointed by God to bring deliverance to the people of Israel. And even David himself, well, he's an anointed one. Samuel goes and pours oil on his head. The word Christ comes from uh, chiasmus, which is anointed with oil. So any of those characters that you see anointed in the Old Testament, that's a Christ. And sons, Son of God gets interesting because we even have that story in Genesis that I constantly allude to but still haven't explained, where the sons of God come down and have children with the women of men. And there's a lot of people that are called Son of God in the Old Testament. And there's the verse in the Psalms, you shall be called the Son of God. So when Mark is writing this to a first century audience, just saying that Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed One, and Jesus is the Son of God, doesn't for that first century audience that has never heard this, instantly bring to their mind, to his audience's mind, the idea that I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as the Nicene Creed says it. And one of the reasons this is important to point out is for the New Testament church, and for every church since, that is also the case. We have, in my own generation, created what I would like to call a bit of a heresy factory. It was popular when I was a teenager to buy these little rubber bracelets, and they said on them rather technically, what would Jesus do? Sorry to get on a hobby horse here, but the point of them was, was they were to remind people to enter the situation and ask, well, what would Jesus do here? Would Jesus really get mad at this guy and punch him for being rude? The answer to that was obviously no. 
But the reason I call it a heresy factory is it took people's moral judgments or feelings on how to properly handle a situation and instantly read Jesus into those. So Jesus became, for my generation, that better version of myself. So when I was nice to you, of course that's what Jesus would do. And Jesus, for people in my generation, very soon started, and it's always been the case, but for us especially, it became very quick that Jesus had to say politics, identity, and everything else that we did. And that was trained by that question, what would Jesus do? The church has always insisted the important thing is what Jesus did, the completed work upon the cross. But reading Jesus into things has always been a pitfall, and it was rather sad that for us, we fell into it so hard. Now, those Jesus claims aren't just a millennial problem. It's a massive pattern in world religions. Any religion that came after 1 AD onto the world scene has Jesus in it. Jesus appears in Islam, he appears in Mormonism, and any religious system since then has appeared to have a Jesus in it. John Knox, the firebrand from Scotland, once correctly said, other gods may have been worshipped more than Jesus, but no man, no individual, has been loved as much as Jesus. But there's a rub even in that, is it's not always this, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it's not this biblical Jesus that's per se loved. So, just to kind of wrap that first point up, in the New Testament and in the early church, there were all sorts of people who, understanding very differently than us, could say that they believed in Jesus, could say that they believed he was the Christ, and they could say they believed he was the Son of God, and their meaning would be a hundred percent different from ours. So these scholarly debates about whether someone's putting this in as some sort of claim, no. In, in, in a way, it almost claims nothing to say this. It's one of those places where truth and error touch, and why Paul warned the early church to be so careful to put hands on people who wanted to be elders. You can say exactly the right thing. You can, you can amen to the Nicene Creed and, and not believe it. So, it's, this touches back to our Easter sermon. I tend to like to use Easter and Christmas as our touchstones. And there I said that one of the contemporary happenings that's going on in the church today is there's attempts to save Jesus. When someone does not believe in the Jesus of the resurrection, in the Jesus of the Gospel of Mark that we will be reading into for a good long while now. They typically try to pick and choose sayings, pick and choose aspects of Jesus, getting us back to that thing we've already talked about, where they believe in their own Jesus. They believe he's the Son of God, but they may mean that differently, and who's God? 
Mark, my main contention today is he's going to define what Son of God means. He's going to define what Christ means, and he's going to tell us who Jesus is through this whole gospel. That's why he wrote this. It's a thesis statement, just like all your, all your teachers made you write in your classroom. You can, you can on the front agree with the thesis statement, but you haven't gotten to any of the meat. And that Son of God phrase is going to come through this gospel in three specific places. We have it here today in verse 11. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. So we're going to, so we see what it means to be the son of God in this baptism from John. The next place it comes is in the transubstantiation. Sorry, transfiguration. Wrong <laughs> theological term there. In the transfiguration, where Jesus goes up the mountain with the apostles, the voice comes again in Mark, this is my son, listen to him. And you will, when we get to the conclusion note in Mark, the famous saying, after Jesus has been crucified, and the temple tore, the soldier, leaning on his spear, says, this is the Son of God. In a way, my plea today is we have to turn to a naivety in this text. Because the key thing when you're reading the Gospel of Mark is Mark is not pulling from your definition of who Jesus is. Mark is not interested in how you define Christ. Mark is not even interested in what it means to be a son of God to you. This is not a what would Jesus do book. This is very much a what did Jesus do book. We're reading the epistle of 1 John, and 1 John is probably famous with the end time types for that phrase, the Antichrist, conjuring up a bad, bunch of bad 60s movies. We tend to think of Antichrist as some sort of like anti-Jesus, and then there's like the positive Jesus, and then there's the negative evil Jesus over there, and they have to fight it out at the apocalypse. Uh, the Greek is much more anti means alongside. So you have to put yourself back into thesis mode. You have a thesis, which is one opinion, and you have an anti-thesis, which is another opinion. And in scholastic debates, you fight it out. Well, what John means with Antichrist is you have the Christ of the church. Mark is putting out that Christ. And through that lens, we always have to bring up what other view of Christ we have. And if it's alongside, but it is not the same, then it is Antichrist, and we must bow to the text. Because one of the key theological foundations is that there is a God. We're here because we believe God exists. But in admitting that, in admitting that God is, then we admit he is independent of exactly what we want. 
Because see, that's an important thing with Jesus. We're entering back into his story, and the Jewish people have been waiting for their Christ, their Messiah, this Son of God to show up and save them. We celebrated Palm Sunday, where they thought he would come in as a warrior king and would save his people by defeating and routing the Romans. They had no idea that to be Christ, to prove the sonship of God, would it be to die on that cross so that even visibly shaken, the Roman pagan could see it. That's just a shocking idea of who God is. We think of God as, as shown in his glory, the sky opening up in the big booming voice. But the glory of God is showing in the death of a man. And the thing that we all fear, condemned as a criminal, and as the law says, a curse. So as we go through Mark, there is just this need to avoid the easy sayings we tell ourselves. Because as Christians, it's very easy for us to say, well, who do you believe Jesus is? Well, I believe he's the Son of God. Okay. Which God? I mean, I've got lots of horses I can beat to death on this one, but just imagine the things that the clergy on TV say. Now, I can forgive the politician for it. When they say different monotheistic religions, they all believe in the same God. But to just contrast it, if you take Islam and Christianity, Islam believes that Jesus is not the third person of the Trinity. They don't believe God would deem to come down and live in human flesh and die for our sins himself. They believe he's above that. So it's not the same God. You have the one God that will do that, and you have the other that won't. So we're just going to get into these things that are going to cause questions. Yes, it's, it's nice to get along with our neighbors and love everybody, but Jesus at times is going to say things that aren't going to feel very loving. Because as Christians, admitting that Jesus is God, that he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, that means if you wanted to really ask what would Jesus do, turn to Leviticus. That's the same Christ there. So the Christ who said, well, all food is clean, he's the same one who told the Jewish people there to skip the shrimp. The Jesus, and it gets difficult. The Jesus that says, don't stone the woman caught in adultery, that's the same Jesus that wrote the Old Testament law to do so. This Jesus character comes out of nowhere. And we've gone over John the Baptist enough that we can just get through today's text. We just need to, sh to realize that this Jesus is coming out of nowhere. And Mark doesn't even start there. He starts with John. John's out baptizing in the river, wearing camel hair, looking alive like Elijah. We're told that he's the prophet. He's the one prophet that Isaiah foretold. And John gives a prophecy in verse 7. The one who's more powerful than I is coming after me, and I'm not worthy to scoop down and untie the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is going to give the Holy Spirit to the people of Israel, 
But there's none of the rest of the story in what John the Baptist is saying there. And so we have Jesus entering in verse 9. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth and was baptized by John. Mark doesn't have any of the Christmas story. I think, again, because of this thesis of who's Christ, what does it mean to be the Son of God, Mark wants Jesus to show up out of nowhere. Unexpected. Character unknown enters stage right. We have the events of John, and Jesus shows up, and he says nothing. He just receives the baptism, and then God speaks. This is my Son. The beloved. So the the first voices we get in the Gospel of Mark are the prophet, God speaking. Then the next prophet, John the Baptist, God speaking again. And then verse 11, this is my son, God speaking again. Jesus says nothing here. And in verse 12, a spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. So Jesus, after showing up, getting baptized, Jesus saying, God saying, this is my son. Jesus is swept immediately out of the stage. It's a good place to dwell at the start of this, is to get Jesus as the outsider, and Jesus here as almost a silent character. Because he's going to speak, when we get to verse 14 next week, that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And that's an in, this question of who Jesus is, this is an important thing as we explore what good news is. What is the gospel? resisting the urge to fill in all the blanks for you. But the gospel is that Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one foreseen through the Old Testament, historically set forward by the prophets. The good news is that Jesus is the one who didn't exist in a world of what would Jesus do, but exists in a world of what Jesus did. And what he did was he came from heaven, as the incarnation of God and in a human body with a human will and living a life just as us, what did he do with it? Paul tells us that he didn't seek to be worshipped like God, but instead he made himself like a servant. And he showed forth that he was willing to heal the lepers, that he was willing to go out and dine with sinners. And in the same way, he was willing to take on our sin himself, and likewise, not just eat with sinners, not just get along with them, but to be crucified in between two of them. And as we are in Eastern season, the next thing that's important to remember is what Christ did was he rose from the grave as he said he would. So I just today will sum up with the fact that we must, even in judging our own theology, our own thinking on these things, it's just so easy to say, well, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. 
But what we miss when we go for that easy character, now that I've shown all sorts of bad behavior about it, and there's all sorts of bad behavior about creating anti-Christ, about creating near misses or, or sublimating the definition of God and all that. But what we as, as Christians and faithful disciples should more aim towards with this is if we really allow the sonship of Christ to be defined, the anointing of Christ to be defined, we enter into a closer relationship with him. If we focus not just on the Jesus that we think we know, but the Jesus who's presented us through scripture, the challenging Jesus, sometimes that we don't agree with him, Jesus, we can enter into a deeper relationship with him. So in all things, it's best, sometimes it's good to get into that first century mindset of who is this Jesus fellow? I've heard what lots of other people say he is. And for those of you joining us from home today, you've probably heard people talk about Jesus a whole bunch. The invitation for everyone always, when we read scripture, when we study it, is not find out what people are saying about Jesus. The invitation is to come to know him personally. And my prayer for you is that you shall do so. Let us pray.